It is said that the real power of a man is measured by the size of the smile of the woman sitting next to him. Arguably, from the standpoint of this self-professed lover and not a fighter, there could be no better reason that one finds himself motivated to be funny. Pleasing the person you love or people in general and allowing them to enjoy all the benefits of laughter and happiness is as close to a real-world win-win scenario as I could imagine. One of the best feelings in the world, you can agree, is the laugh that comes from deep in one's belly. It brings people together, makes one curious, and creates amazing connections. We've all heard the saying that laughter is the best medicine, and there is, in fact, as we shall see today, truth to this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Art of Motivation. We record here at the Peach Gallery and are coming to you from peachradio.com, nestled in the heart of Toronto's Little Italy. I'm Don Sagarez, and I'm glad you're here. Special thanks to our creative designer, Gregory McKenzie, and audio engineer, Adam Zizzo, for their motivation toward making this a reality. I'm your host, Don Sagarez, and I'm grateful and delighted to be here. This is The Art of Motivation, and in today's episode entitled Persistence, Practice, Feedback, The Healing Power of Humor, we look at comedy, laughter, and leadership, and all things that motivate us to be funny and well-rounded people. Because comedy, I'm told, is society protecting itself with a smile. According to Plato, comedy is defined as the generic name for all exhibitions which have a tendency to excite laughter. Although its development was mainly due to the political and social conditions of ancient Athens, as it evolved, it came to become the mirror reflecting back all the foibles of Athenian life. Aristotle taught that comedy was generally a positive for society since it brought forth happiness and what he called the ideal state. He divided comedy into three categories, farce, romantic comedy, and satire. And he also defined comedy as one of the original four genres of literature. According to modern views, comedy refers to the discourse or work generally intended to be humorous or to amuse by inducing laughter, especially in theater, television, film, and of course, stand-up comedy. Some of the terms we use to define comedy at its various levels include satire, where we portray persons or social institutions as ridiculous or corrupt, parody, which critiques many societal forms without condemning them, screwball comedy, which derives its humor from bizarre and surprising situations or characters. Black comedy, which describes forms of humor with darker aspects of human nature. Race humor, which violates social convention. Or comedy of manners, which takes subjects from upper classes and satirizes them. And of course, the ever-popular Sunday afternoon romantic comedy. These are films and favorites with light-hearted, humorous plot lines centered on romantic ideals such as the true love that is able to surmount most obstacles. Its primary distinguishing feature is a love plot in which two sympathetic and well-matched lovers are united or reconciled. In a typical romantic comedy, the two lovers tend to be young, likable, and apparently meant for each other. Yet they are kept apart by some complicating circumstance until, surmounting all obstacles, they are finally wed. And a wedding bells fairy tale style happy ending is practically mandatory. However we define it, and whatever genre of comedy we subscribe to, the laughter and pleasure that comes from comedy cannot be denied. And we should not deny ourselves the pleasure and redeeming qualities of comedic humor. In today's episode entitled Persistence, Practice, Feedback, The Healing Power of Humor, we look at comedy, laughter, and leadership, and all things that motivate us to be funny and well-rounded people. Today we will explore the history and healing power of laughter and comedy, emotional intelligence and why we are attracted to funny people, and how comedians are great innovators and leaders in our world. Then we will sit down with a very funny lady and my special guest, Miss Sandra Carusi, and talk about why women are funnier than men, her thoughts on comedy in general, and what motivates it to impact our lives. We'll hear her responses to my Do You Believe segment. And of course, like all our other guests, we will hear her thoughts on leadership, labor, and love as we close out the show. All this and much more when we return with the Art of Motivation, the comedy episode, where we will find out the truth to the idea that the world is a tragedy for those who fear and a comedy 
for those who think. Back in a minute with more on peachradio.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Sagarez, and I'm glad you're here. This is Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto, Canada. Check us out on Twitter, at the Peach Gallery. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Art of Motivation, here at peachradio.com, nestled in the dynamic and beautiful Peach Gallery in Toronto's historic Little Italy. Today we are talking about comedy, what it means, what it stands for, and how it motivates us. Not long ago, I sat at my parents' kitchen table looking through a box of memories that my mom had saved throughout the years growing up in a suburban part of downtown Toronto. She was wonderful at gathering all the snapshots of our lives through pics, paintings, arts, crafts, and of course, old report cards. As my much better looking other half worked her way through all of the various papers outlining the history of my life, she begins to laugh as she discovers the similarities between these reports year over year. You see, despite my consistent good grades in virtually all subjects, there was a reoccurring and equally consistent handwritten note from the teacher that almost always read, Dawn is a welcome addition to our class and participates actively in all discussions. We would, however, appreciate if he could refrain from interrupting the class with his jokes and humor as it is distracting to other students. You see, from the beginning, I was, as I was affectionately called, the class clown. Conveniently enough for our discussion, Class Clown is the fourth album released by renowned and dearly departed American comedian, Mr. George Carlin. It was recorded way back in May of 1972 at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. More importantly, and for our conversation, Class Clown is defined as someone that has a huge amount of confidence. They are the ones that make students laugh to get attention. It is class clowns that are well-known and sometimes even part of the popular group of kids. They tend, however, to have a bit of a vendetta against teachers or those of higher authority. I assure you that I had no vendetta against higher authority, or anyone else for that matter. I merely wanted to be funny and amusing. I wanted people to laugh, in part because of the popularity it brought, and in part due to the sheer pleasure I received from seeing others, well, happy. Humor, after all, has been proven to play a surprising and important role in human relationships, perhaps equal to, if not more important, than physical attraction. People of all ages, color, race, or creed respond to humor. Most people are able to experience humor, to be amused, to smile, to laugh, at something that is simply funny, and thus they possess a sense of humor. The people lacking a sense of humor would likely find my behavior and all other funny, funny men's behavior inexplicable or even irrational, and thus the teacher's comments remain. But you see, humor, like all things in life and how receptive we are to it, requires that we respect the learning journey of others. Ultimately decided upon by personal taste, the extent to which a person finds something humorous depends on a host of variables, including geography, culture, maturity, education, intelligence, and context. With young children, and in instances where English may not be a first language, slapstick style or physical comedy tends to prevail. By contrast, more sophisticated forms of humor, such as satire, requires an understanding of its social meaning and context, and thus typically appeals to more mature audiences. When I was young, I remember visiting my old Italian aunt's house. She was a robust woman in every sense of the word. The house, like her, old and Italian, but possessing the charm that came with being an immigrant in a foreign land, she had never, based on her life journey, learned to speak English. Her name, Zirozina. And while Zirozina could produce some of the sweetest and most delicious treats I have ever had, she could neither communicate how she made them or make us children understand, as we did not speak fluent Italian, the contents of those treats. We spent hours in that house on family visits, eating everything she put in front of us, but we could not, unfortunately, communicate with her on any real level, and therefore get to know her on any intimate level. One day, however, she entered the living room 
as she appeared tired and wanted simply to sit with us and live a little vicariously through her nieces and nephews. I remember that feeling of helplessness and nervousness that only comes with being in the company of someone you cannot communicate with. You feel immediately as though there is nothing to be said and therefore nothing fruitful could come from the time being spent together. Here I learned quickly, however, that everything communicates. I learned later that when we speak, 7% of how the other person interprets our message is based on the words we use. 38% is based on the tone of our voice. And 55% is based on our non-verbal cues, such as body language and facial expressions. And so, with her eyes lit in anticipation of amusement, Zirozina waddles into the room, takes control of the old-style converter, 70s brown-on-brown, of course, one long cord attached to it, the other to an old antiquated box television, and she proudly, but to our surprise, clicks away from the standard Italian channel. What came next will forever remain in my memory as one of the funniest, most enjoyable afternoons of my life. For those of you of a certain age, you will remember the altogether familiar sound of the famous sitcom beginning. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and his three's company too. To our surprise, what we found out that afternoon is that comedy does not require, in all instances, intimate understanding of the English language. Three's Company is, and was, by all accounts, slapstick comedy. The name slapstick comes from the Italian language word bataccio, called slapstick in English. It is a club-like object composed of two wooden slats. When struck, the bataccio produces a loud smacking noise, though little force transfers from the object to the person being struck. Actors may thus hit one another repeatedly with a great audible effect while causing very little actual physical damage. Along with the whoopee cushion, it was amongst the earliest of special effects. And so the special effects brought on from laughter that day spent with dear old now departed Zirozina, R.U.C., a product of comedy at its finest. In its purest form, comedy is light and humorous with a happy or cheerful ending. It is a dramatic work in which the central motif is the triumph over adverse circumstance, resulting in a successful or happy conclusion. And who wouldn't want that? It has the power to elicit the same emotions from the 10-year-old Canadian boy as the 75-year-old Italian aunt. It joins us and connects us, all under the idea of being happy and evoking only positive emotions. And it does so without saying a single relevant word. And here we will, we will require a few relevant words from our sponsors. Back in a minute with more from The Art of Motivation on peachradio.com and The Healing Power of Comedy. I'm Don Sagarez. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. You're listening to Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Art of Motivation. Here at PeachRadio.com, nestled in the dynamic and beautiful Peach Gallery in Toronto's historic Little Italy. Today we are talking about comedy and humour. I'm Don Sagarez, and I'm glad you're here. According to Eric Idle, life doesn't make sense, and we all pretend it does. Comedy's job is to point out that it doesn't make sense, and that it doesn't make much difference anyway. It is not hard, therefore, to be motivated by laughter. Be it a slight giggle or a side-splitting guffaw, it can change a room from austere to warm and inviting in a single breath. We love to laugh, and we know that laughter has health benefits and healing principles like no other action we humans take. And it is not limited to humans. Numerous species demonstrate vocalizations similar to human laughter. A significant proportion of these are primates, which suggests that the neurological functions involved in expressing cheer occurred early in the process of evolution. Chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans show laughter-like vocalizations in response to physical contact, such as wrestling, play, or even tickling. And it's no wonder, when it comes to relieving stress, more giggles are just what the doctor ordered. 
Why? Well, laughter actually induces physical changes in your body. It can stimulate many organs. As you take in more oxygen, laughter serves to stimulate your heart, lungs, and muscles, and increases endorphins that are released into your brain. Endorphins are the body's natural painkillers, cheaper than pharmaceuticals, and overall much more fun. Laughter improves your immune system. Negative thoughts manifest into chemical reactions. Positive thoughts release neuropeptides that help fight stress and potentially more serious illness. T cells are specialized immune system cells just waiting in your body for activation. Next time you feel a cold coming on, forget cold effects. Put on a comedy. It relieves pain. Laughter is shown to produce natural painkillers and can break the cycle and spasms common to muscle disorders. It increases personal satisfaction and makes it easier to cope with difficult situations. And overall, laughter improves your mood. Many of us experience depression. Laughter can help lessen this and make you feel happier. Doctors have found that people who have a positive outlook on life and laugh tend to fight diseases better than those who are overall more negative in their approach. According to Dr. Frank Lipman, the self-proclaimed voice of sustainable wellness, "What's the one prescription I am always happy to dispense?" he says. "Take two belly laughs and call me in the morning." Safer than any big pharma pill of the moment and free of harmful side effects, laughter is one of the easiest things you can do to promote healing and well-being. In fact, in my 20 years of medical experience, he continues, I've found that patients who have a sense of humor and laugh a lot tend to heal better and faster than those who don't. Therefore, I say, if health and wellness is your goal, skip irony. Bypass sarcasm, and make the conscious choice to add more joyous laughter into your day. So I say, ladies and gentlemen, grab your iPad and tune in a Netflix comedy. You have no reason to be negative. Nothing is as bad as it seems, and you have not in any way failed. And even if you have, who cares? According to famous comedian Louis C.K., whenever you leave behind failure, you're doing good. If you think everything you've done is great, you're probably dumb. Today we are talking about persistence, practice, feedback—the healing power of humor. It warrants, therefore, that we talk about the skills one requires to be well humorous. For those of us who know comedians personally, or for those of us who have seen candid interviews with these professionals, we will note that comedians, while often dark and self-destructed, are, are some of the most intelligent people amongst us. There are, as we know, many versions of what we deem intelligent. I like, however, to subscribe to the thoughts of Daniel Goleman, who speaks a great deal about emotional intelligence. In his book *Emotional Intelligence: Why It Can Matter More Than IQ*, he says that the skills associated with being emotionally intelligent matter more. These skills, we must agree, seem to characterize the comedian as we seem to know them. Comedians are self-aware; they are accurate and possess emotional self-awareness. They are socially aware. With empathy, organizational awareness, and service orientation, they love to make us laugh. They possess self-management, emotional self-control. They can adapt. They can take initiative, and they are effective. They are also relationship managers, seeking to develop their own skills and those of others that they influence, inspire, and communicate with. Comedians are catalysts to change. They build bonds, and they collaborate with others to find and present what is often funny. Any good comedian will tell us, like Goldman says, that we are each born with a certain level of emotional intelligence set of skills, but we strengthen these abilities through persistence, practice, and feedback. Because of this, comedians are great leaders and great innovators. Perhaps the words of one of the greatest comedians of all time, Mr. George Burns, encapsulates this in his famous quote: "I honestly think," he says, "that it is better to be a failure at something you love than to be a success at something you hate." Comedians try and try again. Lolly Daskal, a motivational speaker and expert in her own right, tells us in her recent article from Inc.com. The biggest misconception about success is that what you did yesterday will help you succeed tomorrow. She knows and supports what many comedians know: 
To stay on top of your game, whatever business you are in, requires that you keep innovating. To be a good leader, and I say comedian, you must keep innovating, you must keep learning, questioning, exploring, experimenting, associating, and intersecting ideas. These are, in fact, habits of great innovators, and I challenge you to tell me that great comedians and funny people in general do not possess these skills. Like all great innovators, comedians teach us to constantly connect the dots, to contemplate and observe in order to connect seemingly unrelated issues and ideas. Comedians commit to asking questions, to being curious, and by asking new questions, they challenge their knowledge and create and gain new perspective. Comedians actively try new things. Think here of great innovator Thomas Edison who said, I have not failed. I've simply found 10,000 ways that do not work. Comedians find points that intersect with others. Innovation is something that happens when we connect and intersect with all sorts of people. For ideas to become realities, a diverse set of perspectives is required. Comedians have a sense of purpose. They are powered by their passion and make an impact and make a difference. Comedians are driven to make changes and they are passionate about doing it. Comics cross-pollinate ideas. They combine surprising and seemingly unrelated things. They work and think outside of their industry and outside of their comfort zone. And they solve, while creating, challenges equally. Comedians make innovation a daily routine. They create habits, systems, and processes through daily rituals and daily exploration. Comedians are disciplined and committed. Motivation is what prompts a person to act a certain way or at least to develop an inclination for a specific behavior, in this case, a great innovator. Motivation to be funny, here, like in all areas, requires visualization and affirmation. Visualization requires that you set aside a few minutes each day to relax and picture in your mind that funny person you want to be. It requires that you picture yourself doing all the wonderful things you want to do. As you create that image, your other senses become involved, and by definition, you begin achieving your goal, even some say, before you start. Affirmation requires flooding your mind with positive thoughts and telling yourself that you are, in fact, that star funny man. Our minds, as we know, operate in mysterious ways. If we tell ourselves something enough times, even if it be untrue, it can become our reality. Our reality right now, ladies and gentlemen, is that we will take another short break, and I'll leave you with a comment and a harsh reality from comedian Chelsea Handler, where she says, you know you're a hot mess when the only person buying you drinks all night is yourself. Back in a minute with more from The Art of Motivation and our very special guest, Ms. Sandra Carusi, here on peachradio.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Sagarez, and I'm glad you're here. Thanks for listening to Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Art of Motivation here at peachradio.com, nestled in the dynamic and beautiful Peach Gallery in Toronto's historic Little Italy. Today I'm pleased to have our friend and colleague here in the studio, Miss Sandra Carusi. Sandra Carusi's first time performing stand-up was in the early 90s at Yuck Yuck Search for Canada's Funniest New Comic, and she placed in the semifinals. Her latest adventure combines her two passions, radio and comedy. Her podcast, What Are You Laughing At? The Art of Comedy, is recorded here live at peachradio.com and has captured the attention of many. Sandra interviews top comics and explores areas of comedy craft that enlightens and entertains. An additional aspect of her podcast that I hope you'll turn into is her workshop segment, where Sandra hosts a panel of pro comics as they workshop their material and help amateurs workshop theirs. Podcasts feature interviews with Canada's most influential people of the comedy world, including Mr. Mark Breslin, and top headliners like Glenn Foster, Lawrence Morgenstern, Peter Anthony, Jay Brown, and many more. Sandra? Welcome to the Art of Motivation. I'm very pleased to have you here today, and I'm hoping you'll tell the listeners your story or her story in your words at your own time. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Sandra Carusi. Thank you, Donnie. I'm just used to a big round of applause at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Our first comedian. 
Mm-hmm. Um, motivation is defined in many respects as one's direction to behavior or what causes a person to want to repeat that behavior. In essence, this stems from what an individual believes to be true, a belief that if they eat, it will satisfy their hunger. If they study, they'll get a good grade. If they practice, they'll make perfect. Uh, in today's segment, I thought I would explore your comedic thoughts through some uh, random quick questions. Mm-hmm. So uh, as is always exciting when you've got a com- comedic <laughs> mind, uh, sit back, relax, let us know a bit more about you uh, so we can find motivation towards better uh, physical, funny, and mental health. Um, so uh, do you believe first and to get us warmed up that men are funnier than women? <clears throat> um, not necessarily. I mean, in the sense that it's not gender specific. I think there's opportunities or life experiences they might be exposed to in some cases that might give them a better perspective because comedy is observational. So um, because of the greater opportunities sometimes men have in workplace, for example, that might give them greater insight. It can. Uh, Do you believe, however, that women are more intuitive than men once they do establish their their language map for comedy? Mm -hmm. I think the nurturing aspect of women and what comes with that is actually what gives us uh, strength. If you have children or not, it's it's irrelevant. It's just a, a natural, like you said, instinctive. Um, you know, with men it's primal, and with women it's it's instinctive. And and, that, and that's true. And and my next question is: uh, Do you believe, therefore, that a woman's a woman's brain rather is fundamentally different than a man's, and that affects the sort of angle that that she will take on stage and through her comedic stylings? Oh, we're for sure wired differently. How so? Just, well, let's let's take my ex-husband for example. <laughs> Has has someone taken your ex-husband yet? That's uh, I'm selling him on eBay on Kijiji. Um, no, we're wired very differently, and there's nothing wrong with that. We have to celebrate that, as we know, and and uh, but that's what makes us um, good in in any job, male or female, in particular in comedy. I, abs- absolutely, I, I think so. I think women are fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe that you're more intuitive, and mm-hmm. I think women are smarter as a rule when it comes to emotions and feelings of the heart. Um, do you believe that it is wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> <laughs> That's so offensive. I can't believe you went there. You know how many crackers had to die so a vegetarian could eat them? Well, this is this is the thought. I mean, literally, like uh, you know, this thought about vegetarians and uh, mm-hmm. is it is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Do <laughs> do you think? No, you don't. That's totally. You're one of the funniest people I know. <laughs> no, only no. you could deliver that straight faced. I'm just curious. It, it sounds like a reasonable question for a, for a comedian <laughs> like you. Obviously, you think that's fine. Uh, further to that, do you believe it's okay to shoot tourists during tourist season yeah, here? Absolutely, Pan Am. It's open season. I'm saying right now. All, all of us uh, here in Toronto, ladies and gentlemen, are a little bit uh, unnerved mm-hmm. with the thought of the Pan Am Games coming here to yes. Toronto. We're, we're grateful, uh, certainly, that it is coming to Toronto. We wish mm. all the athletes much success mm-hmm. and uh, all sorts Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's well, tell the truth. All right. Sandra doesn't like that. <laughs> quick, uh, quick question, because, uh, you know, being Italian, I'm likewise Italian. Uh, our nationality plays a lot in, mm-hmm. into our perception of self uh, mm-hmm. from a comedian's perspective. Um, do you believe that if people from Poland are called Poles, then people from Holland should be called holes? <laughs> He's here all night, folks. <laughs> I'm just curious. What, try, are, what are your thoughts? Try on the Vitello. Tell, tell us, uh, all kidding aside, tell, tell us a bit for a second uh, about your mom. Uh, you, you have a great mm. uh, affection for your mm-hmm. mom. Uh, all of us from uh, Italian descent uh, mm-hmm. are very affectionate with your moms. Tell, tell us a moment about your mom. She's inspiring because she has no filter, you know, and... She didn't before, but the older she gets, like like the filter's completely wrong. It's like, I don't care. It's what about me? And there's a certain lib- liberating way about her because it liberates me to kind of think and feel that way. And I think it's a great way to be if you're not offending every other person around you. She tends to do so. Um, but I like to celebrate her in my comedy because I think um, she's... You know, my my siblings sometimes would get upset, but when I started to see the positive part and the fun part of it, um, it started to become entertaining. And and I do that with other people. Other people who aggravate me now um, because of their lack of filters or whatever. Now I try to celebrate them in the same vein. It actually helps me cope a lot. Well, I think it comes down to honesty too, right? And, mm-hmm. and that leads to my next question. Do you believe if uh, honesty is the best policy, then in fact, dishonesty is the second best policy? Mm-hmm. Do you... What do you mean by that? 
I'm, I'm totally not <laughs> honest about it. Let's move on. Do you believe that uh, love is blind? And, and if you do, uh, why would lingerie be so popular? Oh, Donnie, you're the best. What, 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 are, what, are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on lingerie? Love is blind and lingerie is mandatory, always. <laughs> I swear it has to be. Tell us, do you, do you believe, like uh, many uh, sexy, uh, intelligent women like yourself, the bra does in fact need to match the panties or is this no. non-obligatory? It's non-obligatory. No, because it comes off. It doesn't matter. It comes off. It, it looks good on the floor. And, and how often does she have both on at the same time? One's off, one's on. It doesn't matter. This is true. And, and depending on the time leads to another question I have. Uh, do you believe that infants enjoy infancy as much as adults enjoy <laughs> adultery? <laughs> Tell us your thoughts on on dating. I, I know you were you, you were totally open and uh, you shared with us that you're uh, uh, a beautiful, magnificent, albeit divorced lady. What, what are your thoughts on and marriage? Straight. Straight. Just, yeah. She's straight, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> she's not wearing her colors proudly today. She's in flat white. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about marriage and and how does it uh, how does it feel now being at our time of life and, mm-hmm. and now sort of effectively starting over? And how mm-hmm. does that impact? Your, your love, your laughter, your humor. Mm-hmm. I'm a strong proponent of marriage. I think it's an important institution when there's children involved. I think if there's no children involved, there's probably no real need for it. You could do it with a contract. Um, I'm a career salesperson, so I'm instituting contracts with fellas now. We start with a 90-day plan, okay, and it's a trial, probationary as you would in any job. I expect a certain amount of commitment there, and then there's an option to renew. That way, everyone's on their best behavior in those integral first 90 days. I think I think that's a good approach. I, yeah. I, I myself uh, am also uh, part of the divorce team, and I, I've mm-hmm. never had such a great relationship with my wife as after we got divorced. Yes, uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And now I try to be uh, just a, a good good person and, and happy. And I'm, mm-hmm. I know you are. You have you yeah. have a beautiful family. You have children. Yeah. Yes, we co-parent my ex and I. And again, we get along great now too. Um, we just weren't the right people. We were wired differently. And I think at 29, you don't know that when you get married. I just, sorry uh, for the people of that demographic who might be in the room right now. I just think um, there's certain things, you know, you don't learn until much later in life. Much later. And, and you have, uh, tell us about your children for a moment. They're funny and brilliant little men. Um, that's one thing I could, about my ex is he's a bright guy. So... Um, my kids have that perfect balance. They're six and nine years old. They're very funny and, um, I have fun with them and I make fun and, and that's important. I try to keep that, especially what we've been through. These guys at their ripe age have been through the divorce of their parents and the, the illness of their mother. So I had to make sure that I kept things light for them. Good, and I'm sure it uh, has offered them what they need to mm-hmm. uh, to grow and and mm-hmm. to uh, to have fruitful relationships with both mom and dad, yeah. um, and and of course to be good uh, young men and, mm-hmm. and good throughout the year. For, so when Santa Claus comes, uh, mm-hmm. quick question: Do you believe that Santa is so jolly because he knows, in fact, where all the bad girls live? <laughs> he visits often. <laughs> he visits often. So your, like your thought, what are your thoughts on Christmas and Hallmark cards and uh, things of that nature? Well, I want to. I, I want to start some divorce greeting cards um, because there's that awkward stage that a lot of me and my f- divorce friends went through when you're kind of splitting with the person and you kind of still feel like you should probably buy them a card. And um, so for the husband who cheated on you, nothing says Merry Christmas, like happy holidays to you and your ho, ho, ho. And <laughs> some really important messages like that. And I, I actually looked into the greeting card industry. You did. And uh, and, and did you find that they were receptive <laughs> to your, your style of, of, of comedic humor? Or? There, there is some along that line kind of darker humor. Mm-hmm. So I think there is an opportunity for it. There's always, there's always a way for fun cards, even e-cards. I think so. And uh, speaking of fun cards, you know, do you believe if a person who plays the piano is called a, a pianist, <laughs> then a person who drives a race car should be called a racist? <laughs> I'm just curious your thoughts on that. What, what are your thoughts on, on society as a whole? How, uh, you know, from a comedian's perspective, mm-hmm. you, you explore, you look at society, yeah. you have your opinion. In general, what's your opinion on, on society at large? I think we've lost our sense of community. I think this is why cancer rates are increasing. I think we're not taking care of each other anymore. We're not watching each other's back. 
And I think that's what is at the root of a lot of issues in society right now. I think this is why our children's are go- children are going astray. Uh, we blame it on the media. We blame it on video games. Yes, but part of that is because there's no sense of community. We're not watching each other's kids. We're criticizing each other's kids and talking about how great ours are, but we're not... We're not um, helping to manage the fellow parent beside you uh, to help them take care of that child. I felt an extreme isolation after my divorce, and I was looking around going, where is everybody? When do they show up, you know? And then diagnosed with cancer, same thing. Still look, I'm still looking around, wondering where some people are. And it's sad. It's very sad. And then we wonder why people get sick, because first of all, at a cellular level, um, we operate in one of two ways, fight or flight or growth and vitality. And fight or flight is all too common in our society. It's um, traffic creates fight or flight response. Relationships, you know, just in the grocery store, somebody butting in line and being aggressive, that creates a fight or flight. Um, It's very, very common. And that's where disease breeds with that, when your cells are operating at that level. You have to work so much harder to get them in a growth and vitality stage by having positive relationships in your life, Um, love relationships, those with your children, with your siblings, with your ex, whatever. And I think um, that that's what it comes down to. And it's very simple concept. If we go back, we always talk about, you know, in our parents' day, you know, disease didn't exist like it did. Well, first of all, it wasn't diagnosed as often. But secondly, um, it's people watch each other's back. And there was a study done of um, immigrants in Pennsylvania, Rosado, Pennsylvania, and it's a small town. And this researcher went to visit a friend of his in an adjacent town. And um, he found, he heard about Rosado. There's no heart attacks there. This is back in the 60s. So he sent a team of researchers in and they started interviewing the people of this town and they followed them through their life. And they ate like prosciutto and like meat and eh. they drank like you wouldn't believe you know, sleeping, whatever. But one thing resonated amongst all those people. If they felt the chips were down, if they lost their job, they knew their neighbor would get their back. They, If they got sick, they knew their neighbor would get their back. They visited each other. They went to church together. They ate together. And they deduced from that research piece and that time that it was that sense of community that kept those people free uh, and clear of disease. It wasn't until their next generation, so uh, children, when their children hit 45 years old is when that first heart attack occurred in that town. And uh, the researchers went back many years later to talk to them. They're all in their 80s now and beyond. And uh, that's what they found. And I think uh, you, you hit it right on the head. And thank you. I, I said, you know, it does take a, a community to raise a child. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of that has been lost here mm-hmm. in North America. But it sounds like Rosado is quite a, a gift. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my final questions here for the moment is, do you believe that a free gift is actually free? <laughs> no, because you had to spend so much money at shoppers first. <laughs> To get those optimum points. And because nothing is in fact free in this world, ladies and gentlemen, here's where we'll take another short break with messages from our sponsors. Back in a minute with more beliefs from the art of motivation and our very special guest, Miss Sandra Carusi here on PeachRadio.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Sagares, and I'm glad you're here. You're listening to Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Art of Motivation. Here at PeachRadio.com, nestled in the dynamic and beautiful Peach Gallery in Toronto's historic Little Italy. Today, I'm pleased to have our friend and funny gal here in the studio, Miss Sandra Carusi. Hmm. Sandra, as always, we will close our show with a series of questions that revolve around the concepts of leadership, labor, and love. These are our beliefs here on the Art of Motivation. I'll define each category as we approach it and then ask you several questions. Please answer as honestly and freely as you like, as I'm sure the listeners want to hear from you in your own words and in your own way. You good to go with that? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Leadership has been described as a process of social influence in which a person can enlist the aid and support of others in the accomplishment of a common task. For example, some understand a leader simply as somebody whom people follow or as somebody who guides or directs others, while others divine leadership as motivating and organizing a group of people to achieve a common goal. Are you a leader, Sandra, and why? Absolutely. I, I um, From my report cards, um, when I was a child, always, it was right from grade one, Sandra is a leader in her group. 
when there was a new student in the class, they would assign me to kind of take them along. And it was just something um, um, because I was the last of four kids and, and so much younger than them. I, I kind of had to take care of myself in a lot of ways. And so I think it's a great quality to have. I'm, I'm happy with it. I think um, it's part of a pack mentality to have a leader. And I think it's important. Humans need it, you know, goes back. I'm a been known of, I know this might shock you, that I'm a bit of an alpha female. I know, I know. Get up off the floor. It's like, must blow you away to hear that I'm an alpha female. I've had the pleasure of knowing uh, Miss Kersey for many years, and <laughs> she is, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, an, an, oh. an alpha female. I love her mm-hmm. to death. Um, I agree that you are, in fact, a leader. Uh, I'd like to know who are the people that motivate or have motivated you to be the leader that you are today? Well, my parents, for sure, because any anybody who kind of... Um, <clears throat> kind of gets past their challenges and able to um, still get through life and accomplish so many things. I always have so much respect for, and that motivates me because I always say, well, if they can do that with limited resources, then I can do it with the resources I have. And that's kind of got me through my illness as well, is to kind of look at people who have it worse than me and they seem to get by and laugh and have a great time. And so I don't make excuses for myself. I just kind of trudge through it and make it happen. I agree. And I share that. And that's a, it's a lovely response. I find that, you know, although, as you, you noted, we've lost a little bit of that community mentality. Um, those of us of European descent mm-hmm. often have a great fondness for, for our parents. And, mm-hmm. and we recognize that they had uh, great challenges, sometimes mm-hmm. insurmountable, but yet we still laughed. We still sat at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that Saturday night fever kind of siblings mm-hmm. smacking each other was mm-hmm. always, always part of it. And it's awesome. Do you believe uh, as a leader, uh, the question simply reads as this, a leader, friend, or foe? Well, I want to know what you mean by foe. Like, I mean, I, I mean, know what as, it means, but why do you think it's got to be a friend or a foe? No, I'm just looking at your thoughts. You know, some yeah. people's leadership style is to befriend everyone in their mm-hmm. life, befriend everyone in their organization, mm-hmm. to be super sensitive to everyone's needs. Mm-hmm. Other people, uh, myself by included, fear. Yeah. seem to rule by fear, mm-hmm. and, and they feel that that has a greater impact. Which do you think yeah. uh, has a greater impact? And even if it's changed throughout the course of your life, what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. that? It's definitely by a friend. I just think you get the most out of people when they're not in fight or flight mode. I think when you put people as um, the, your underlings or anybody in your pack or anybody, even your children in a um, defensive mode, you're not getting the most out of them. They're always in fear. And that is just not how to motivate somebody. You need to be on side. You need to guide. You need to uh, direct. And that's how um, I think leadership should be. I I agree. And, and uh, do you find that being, uh, do you find that your happiness plays a major role in your leadership success? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's relevant for you to be happy and still be an effective leader? It's a great question and far too profound for me to answer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think, I think, yeah, it makes it easier. I mean, I've worked for leaders who are not happy and that trickles down. We've uh, had political leaders who aren't happy um, and, and I think they need a hug. You know, and uh, I think that it's important um, that people have that kind of basis to trickle down to those around them. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of um, the quote, um, you're the sum of the five people you are around and that being any leaders around you or you as a leader. And um, I, I draw a lot from that. And I try to really, especially as of late, to really manage who's around me, um, the people I see as leaders as well. That's that's very inspirational. Is that uh, Verizon's latest commercial for your five <laughs> friends and your cell phone package? <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. It's it's a lovely response. What you know, you've shared some of your challenges, both uh, physically, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have some sort of health challenges, of course. Um, that adds a layer to uh, your life and your day to day. What do you do to motivate and inspire yourself on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. I do meditation and relaxation. I do um, a lot of affirmations. I uh, exercise. I um, think about the future, first of all. That's important, being uh, in my state. And I also live in the moment the best I can. And I think when you live in the moment, you can actually uh, move forward uh, with more ease. Instead of, whereas before, I focused on the future more than the moment. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of us do that. We mm-hmm. focus on tomorrow mm-hmm. and what tomorrow should bring. And I think a lot of that has to do with our concept of work mm-hmm. and where we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next part of, of these questions involves the concept of labor. Uh, in our leadership labor love segment. Uh, Labor is uh, a noun, and it's defined as productive work, especially physical toil done for wages. Mm -hmm. Um, Work hard or work smart? What's your idea and concept of work? It's funny. Um, PC or uh, pre-cancer, it was work hard. Post-cancer, it's work smart. That's, uh, I think we can draw a lot of conclusions Mm -hmm. from that. uh, Mm -hmm. I learned the hard way. Of course. I imagine... Mm-hmm. That uh, each moment is quite a bit more precious now that, uh, mm-hmm. that you're you're dealing with this challenge, and certainly uh, nothing but happy and positive thoughts from uh, from this chair. Yeah. Um, work related question again. Uh, I'm asking Sandra Cruzy on the street corner. Sandra Cruzy, fame or fortune? <sighs> I'm going to have to go with fifty fifty there, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 for 200. Non-committal I re- response I, yeah, of a comedian. Do you know why? Because I think that um, before, I, I, you know, when I was younger, I would have taken just the fame, but I think the pragmatism of it, I need the fortune to go with the fame to pay the bills. Of course. <laughs> of course. When you're a single mom. Makes perfect sense. And uh, we, we get a lot of, uh, of that sort of answer. People are, are often on the fence. Um, next question, uh, education or experience? Mm. I'm going to have to go with the 50-50 again there, Don. Um, uh, I think it's very important to have both. Um, well, you need a base education. Experience is always more, I think. Uh, valuable, a little more. Give it a 60-40. Well, absolutely. 60-40, thank you. Uh, 65-35, are we yeah. working our way? I, I know you, as I've told the listeners, for quite a long time, and I know you've been working both hard and smart for many years and mm-hmm. uh, have achieved many levels of fame and, and fortune. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love your work, always have. Um, tell us, what was your professional tipping point or turning point uh, in your career in radio and comedy? It's funny, I had two. I started in my 20s with comedy to, as a, to get into radio as a fast-forward kind of way to do it. And then um, through my choice of lifestyle, wanting to be a mom and a wife, I kind of abandoned comedy and just stuck to radio <clears throat> as a pragmatic way to do things. And then I found things full circle after my divorce and my children to kind of um, get back to that. And that was a tipping point, I guess, my divorce, to kind of get back into comedy and really do what I love. And and really, I think that's at the core of life. Like, I think artistically, we really need to entertain that uh, creative side of ourselves for our personal health um, and just uh, outlook. And I think to be a better parent, I just think um, exploring that creative side, I think suppressing that is something so horrible that we do People do it to their children, and they have done it. People do it to themselves, and I think it's just a, such a shame. I, I feel so much joy being able to express myself through comedy. And again, being in the Peach Gallery, people do it through paintings, and some people do it through music, and and for me, it's through comedy. So Well, and I think, uh, as you noted, it's important uh, to do what you love. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, we do things in life, uh, it seems, for love or <clears throat> money, as mm-hmm. I always seem to joke. Um, the final uh, segment here is with uh, respect to love in our mm-hmm. leadership, labor, love. Love is a variety of different feelings, states, and attitudes that ranges from interpersonal affection to pleasure. Uh, it refers to an emotion of strong attraction and personal attachment. Um, understanding that most people like you, like me, have a tipping point, let me ask you, uh, in your change in life, would the person you were before want to hang out with the person you are today? Yes, because I'm that much stronger. I think the old Sander is probably probably be intimidated, if that's even possible, because I even intimidate myself, <laughs> in addition to most people around me. <laughs> that's my charm. But... Um, yeah, I think the old Santa would look at the new Santa and go, wow, holy cow, I can't believe she did that. Like, I want to be around her so I can do that too. I think for all that I was confident and I had it all together before, I think through my challenges, I, I definitely have a better um, pers- perspective now and um, with other things that motivate me as opposed to what they did before, like money. I think uh, I, I think I concur. Again, having known you for many years, I mean, you've mm-hmm. always been a, a lovely, lovely lady. Um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I want to be really the best mom I can be, and really um, that leadership have that leadership role with my kids. 
because right now they're the sons of anarchy, and I want to change that <laughs> quality about them Love and maybe them. remove the weapons from their hands, the Nerf guns. And um, and I think really to be a great partner. I mean, that that's something I really um, cherish. I think the art of relationship um, is really where everything stems in society from parenting to being a good person in society. You have to have that strong partner. So that's the next phase is to really buckle down and hire myself a hot guy. Because <laughs> I can't seem to get one for free, so I'm going to pay for it. I understand, which makes the next question almost null and void. Yes. But let, let me ask you a <laughs> final question about love. Um, do you believe that, uh, and, and do you apply the same passion and enthusiasm for your, your job, your vocation, as you do in your love life? Mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it needs that. I think that's what people forget and they allow to go by the wayside. But I think... Passion, enthusiasm. Yeah, I would, I, would, uh, I would call it that. Absolutely. I love it. I love putting that kind of effort into someone I care about because only fruitful things come of it. Well, I, I love that you love putting that effort. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, love that you, I love that you are here on the show. Sandra, I'd like to thank you today for your time and for sharing with us your insight and direction for all things comedy and humor. We wish you the best of luck and continued success in all your endeavors and certainly hope to see you soon. I'd also like to take this opportunity once again to thank Greg McKenzie, Adam Zizzo, and the rest of the team here at PeachRadio.com. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we presented a program that I hope you found relevant and enjoyable. I certainly hope that it motivated you to become funnier, and in doing so, become healthier and more attractive. The classic conception of comedy, which began like we did earlier today in ancient Greece, holds that comedy is primarily concerned with humans as social beings, and its function is to correct us. The comic's purpose and comedy as a whole is to hold up a mirror to society and reflect our follies and our vices back to us in hopes that we will mend them. Laughter brings people together. Humor helps diffuse difficult situations. It makes you more likable. It reduces stress. It provokes thought and change. We should all aspire to be funny. It brings a charm and electricity to a situation that is hard to deny and certainly attractive. Kelly Lord Online tells us that there are 10 reasons why a funny man will hook you. They include, he never fails to entertain you, he is witty and creative, he knows how to handle social situations, he is naturally observant, he makes you a better person, he gets along with your friends, he doesn't feed into drama, and he radiates confidence. None of these things seem to be bad, and I certainly hope we brought a smile to your face here today, ladies and gentlemen. The art of motivation, as always, seems to come less from physical strength and more from positive mental strength, which in turn comes from being open to humor and reflecting on ourselves and society at large. I'll leave you today with an outdated, albeit very funny and unbelievable quote from one of my favorite funny men of all time, Mr. Chris Rock, who said a few years back in the most appropriate or maybe inappropriate reflective way, You know, ladies and gentlemen, the world is going crazy. When the best rapper is a white guy, the best golfer is a black guy, the tallest guy in the NBA is Chinese, the Swiss hold the America's Cup, France is accusing the U.S. of arrogance, Germany doesn't want to go to war, and the three most powerful men in America are named Bush, Dick, and Colin. Need I say more? I'm Don Sagares, and you've been listening to The Art of Motivation here at peachradio.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'm glad you were here. 